morning and welcome to Arendelle Alliance Church's online service. My name is Pastor Jordan Green. We're excited to have you joining us here on what is one of our last online services. In a sense, we will be continuing with the live streams, but starting September 13th, the plan is, and everything looks like we are on track for having our congregation back in our sanctuary finally after all of these months as we work through the COVID rules and regulations that we need to be following to ensure proper safety as we have worked through the various challenges that we have in our tech department. And I am so thankful for our team of folks that have been working hard to allow us to bring an online service while also recording in sanctuaries. The plan is September 13th, 2020. We're inviting our church family to register to be in attendance for those who are comfortable coming back. It is important that you register ahead of time because of COVID rules and regulations. We have to map out our sanctuary and make sure that we have our seats properly arranged to allow folks to be in attendance. And so there will be information in your e-bulletin. If you're not receiving the e-bulletin and you call Arendale Alliance Church Home, please call the church office this week and have a chat with Sue and uh, arrangements can be made to possibly get you on the e-bulletin list as appropriate. And also we are uh, keeping in mind there are people who do not have access online and we are making arrangements that for those who don't have internet access, we will still be attempting to accommodate those who want to attend in person. But I cannot stress this enough, we really need you to register ahead of time so that we can get the sanctuary properly prepared with the seating that is required. One of the challenges with reopening is there's a lot more manpower required. We've got a lot more happening with our ushers and with our greeters. And so if you're willing to volunteer and assist us in this area, please contact Sue at the church office this week and let her know. We are going to be looking for more assistance. It takes longer to get people seated. It takes longer to ensure that we're in proper compliance of the regulations that are uh, governing our reopening and we want to handle this reopening as best as we possibly can make it as smooth and and as as transparent as possible for our church family so if you're able to help us we could really use it please contact sue and talk to her esl is restarting and we're so excited it's going to be online at least initially and we're having ongoing dialogue because of covid what is esl going to look like but one thing we're aware of we are going to need more assistance with our ESL teaching program. And so if you're able to volunteer and help, again, please contact Sue at the church office this week and uh, let her know. We're so excited for this ministry. We're going to have some other ministry announcements coming as we get rolling into our fall program. We're very, very thankful for what has been already done. We're excited for what is still to come. And so with this in mind, would you please be praying for us? We ask for your patience with us as we're figuring this out. Ask for your patience with one another and your grace for one with one another. As COVID, I think, has pushed a lot of our buttons. It has challenged a lot of our notions of what fellowship looks like and has raised a lot of questions. It hasn't caught God off guard, and there are actually some really good things that have come out of it. We're very excited for some of the changes that we have made because long-term, some of them are going to be very, very positive for us as a church family. But please be in prayer for us and with us, and if you're able to volunteer, let us know. With this in mind, we're going to go to prayer this morning, and I'm going to invite you where you are, again, to remind you with your e-bulletin, to take it out, read it through. There's a lot of information there. If you were reading it through, you would have noticed, for example, this is a communion Sunday, so if you haven't prepared your elements, you may want to pause the video and get that ready. But there's also prayer requests. We're going to take a few moments in quiet reflection, uh, wherever we are, to still our hearts before God, and then I will lead us through the pastoral prayer. But as we go to this time of prayer, let's be mindful of this. Jesus promises that he will be with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And even in the season of COVID, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about how even when we're apart in the spirit, we are together. And so with this in mind, let's take a few moments of quiet prayer. You look at the prayer request in the bulletin, and then I'll guide us in a time of guided prayer.
Holy God, we come before you this morning as a congregation with thankful hearts that you are our God and that you are at work. Lord, we thank you that situation and circumstance don't surprise you. We thank you that you know before it happens that you have a plan, that you are always in control, and that your will is done. Father, we ask that your will would be done in our church as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask that you would continue your ministry, that you continue your leading and your guiding, that you continue to use us as a congregation to bless this city, to bless one another, to advance your kingdom. Father, we think of those who are watching the video this morning who have not called on your name, and we ask for a sense of conviction for their soul if they have not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Lord, we ask for wisdom to know how to minister to them. Give them courage to speak and say, I'm not a Christian. What does this Christian life look like? And for us who are believers, give us wisdom to know how to speak to them. Lord, we ask that you continue your sanctifying work in our souls, that as a church family, we would continue to be made more and more into the image of Christ. We're scattered in various locations, and yet you say there's one body and there's one spirit. And we are joined together as one spirit, even if we're in different places. Thank you, holy God. Lord, we look to you for wisdom for our fall ministries. We have so many questions of what we're going to be able to do and so many questions of what we should do. Father, we lay our plans and our decisions at your feet, asking that you would guide us. Holy Spirit, would you show us what is honoring to you and what you would have us to do? Would you give wisdom to the elders? Would you give wisdom to the ministry leaders that what we choose would be your choices for your glory? We seek to expand your kingdom. We seek to honor you and bring praise to you in what we say and what we do. May it be so, holy God. We lay these things at your feet, asking that you continue to use us as a church as you have for years. We are your people and you are our God. May it be reflected in what we say and what we do. We commit the reopening to you and trust the technical details with so much thankfulness. We've come so far. Thank you for the many who have, have sacrificed so much and have worked so hard. Would you bless them, holy God? And Father, this morning we think of the Regina churches that we're in fellowship with. We think of the Regina Filipino Church and Rockbridge and the Good News Chapel, these churches that are your churches just as we are your church. And we pray a blessing over them, their leadership. Would you protect them? Lord, would you use them to, in the community that you have called them to? Would you continue to advance your kingdom in and through them as we ask the same for us? We commit them to you. Father, we're thankful for the missionaries connected to our congregation. We thank you for Abe and Leela and the ministry that you have placed them in, in India, even though they're here in Saskatoon and ministering and supporting that that ministry of hospitals in India. Father, thank you for that work that you have granted to them. Lord, we commit that work to you. We know that with COVID on, there are significant challenges for that hospital network. We know that the poor are suffering. Father, we lift them before you, asking for your mercy, asking for your grace. We ask that you provide the funds that they need. We ask that you protect the staff that are involved. And Lord, would you start a, a new revival there in those regions of India. Holy Spirit, would you tug on hearts? Would you reveal truth in a new way that people would hear and would respond? And would you start a revival there that would spread, that would spread from town to town and village to village and person to person and spill beyond the borders of India? Lord, we commit Abe and Leela to you, asking for your grace and your mercy as they work with that Emmanuel Hospital Association that you would bless back upon them as they have blessed others. Father, thank you so much for them and the ministry that you have given them, the encouragement that they are to us as a congregation. Lord, we are blessed. Would you bless them in turn? We think of Heather and her family as they minister in Mexico and commit them to you. And Father, they're working with these young leaders, these church leaders who are in turn working with others. Think of Ishmael and his wife and this this ministry with the leaders in their community and ask that you continue to bless and use them in what they're doing for Luis and Amelia as they have this new project that they have started up, Father, that you would use it to advance your kingdom. 
Father, thank you for our international workers. And in praying that, Lord, I'm mindful. You told us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Lord, would you raise up more workers? Would you raise them up from among us? Holy God, we give you Arendelle Lance Church again. It's never been ours. It has always been yours. Lord, forgive us when we've tried to make it ours. Forgive us when we have made decisions that have not honored you. Lord, today we ask again that you take and use it for your honor, for your glory, to advance your kingdom. Have your way, holy God. And Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've saved us. Thank you that you fill us. And thank you that you're coming again for us. Be glorified, we ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Kids Talk this morning. This week, I had an experience. I went somewhere kind of special, and they gave me something kind of special. And it's this. Do you know what this is? It's an ID bracelet. I was at the hospital this week. I wasn't there because I was sick. I was there because I needed to see a doctor to get a sleeve for my arm. That's a story for another day. You can ask me about that when you see me. But as they were giving me the bracelet, I was thinking, why do I have to come in and get this bracelet every time I come to the hospital? Well, they give me the bracelet so that they know that I belong in the hospital and that they know which doctor belongs to me and which doctor I'm supposed to see and where I'm supposed to be and all of those types of good things. So they identify me with this bracelet. Now, I'm sure each of you also had a bracelet like this at one time, and that was when you were born. Babies are given an ID bracelet like this too so that the doctors know who that baby belongs to, so that they know who your mom and who your dad is. And so we have these identifiers. They give this, these um, bracelets so that they know who we belong to. Well, when we become a Christian, we and invite Jesus to be our forever friend and come and guide us and lead us in our lives, we belong to him. But when we do that, Jesus doesn't give us a bracelet like this to wear. Some of us choose to wear a necklace that might have a cross that people can recognize us as a Christian or something like that. But that's not something that Jesus requires us to wear, and it's not something that Jesus gives us to wear. It's something that we choose to wear. So how do people know then that we're Christians? How do they know that we belong to Jesus? They're supposed to be able to know by the way that we act. So do you act in a way that people would know that you belong to Jesus? Do you love people? Are you kind and generous? Do you have the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Are you patient and joyful and all of those other things? So Jesus asks us to love others just as much as he loves us. And that's a whole lot. And, sometimes, and that's an easy thing for Jesus to do because he's God. He's Jesus. It's easy for Jesus to love. That's who he is. Sometimes, though, that's a little bit more difficult for us. So does it mean that we have to love that kid in our class who's mean to everybody, who's not so kind? Yes, we have to love that, that kid too. What about that neighbor that comes over and borrows things from us and doesn't return things? Do we have to love that neighbor too? Yes, yes, we do have to love that neighbor too. We have to love everybody, and we are supposed to love them in a way that other people can see that we're different from everybody else. So I want to challenge you this week, or encourage you this week, to think of ways that you can show love to your neighbors, to your friends, even to our families. And that would be to love them in a way that Jesus loves them, so that others will know that we, are, that we belong to Jesus as well. And I have a Bible verse for you, and it comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And it says this, Little children, let us stop saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Then we will know for sure by our actions that we are on God's side. 
So people will know who we are and who we belong to when we show it by our actions and not just our words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Jesus and thank you for sending him to die on the cross and thank you for showing us so much love to us each and every day. Thank you for the good things that you give us and thank you that we have the choice to love you and help us to do that and help us to show our love to others so that they would know that we belong to you and that we are different and um, just help us to love each other the way that you love us. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Today I'll be reading Acts chapter 9, verse 31 to 42 from the Christian Standard Bible. So the church throughout all Judah, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Yopa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Yopa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him, who urged him, don't delay in coming with us. Peter got up and went with him. When they arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning towards the body said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand. They called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Yopa, and many believed in the Lord. Good morning. I'd ask if you could stand as you're able as we sing together this morning.
Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. One with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased with his blood, my life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Break the chasm. That lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name Into the night And through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows
You may be seated. Good morning, and welcome to our time in the Word together. My name is Pastor Joran Green. I'm the lead pastor here at Arendelle Alliance Church. For those of you I've not yet met in person, and with COVID, it might still be a little while. Please be patient with us, but we are finding opportunities and ways to connect. We're thankful for that. Thank you for worshiping with us this week. If you've got your Bibles handy, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and we're going to begin where Pastor Matt left off last week. Last week, Pastor Matt took us through the conversion experience of Saul, who's on the road to Damascus. He is going Christian hunting. He has the papers in his hand. He is going from house to house, dragging Christians off. He's arresting them. Of course, he tells us later on by his own words that he exceeded many of the young men of his day in his zealousness. And we see this because the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, and the high priest are willing to let him go and be there for want of a better way to put it, their hatchet man. He's the one who's going and hunting down these Christians. And it is on the road to Damascus where he has that face-to-face encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick up the story this week. And as we turn there, would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious God, we ask that you meet us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and instruct our hearts? Thank you for your word. And as we gather around it, may we be changed. Would you speak to us? And guide us in it, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. The story picks up in in the middle part of Acts chapter 9 with a typical kind of narrative thing that Luke does. Luke is a master storyteller in both the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. He'll introduce us to a character like he does with Saul, and then Saul will step back for a while. We've already met Joseph, also known as Barnabas. Haven't heard a whole lot from him. We'll come back to him. But typically what Luke will do is we'll get a summary statement like we find here in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in number. And this is an interesting statement because one of the things I've heard time and time again, and maybe your own heart has said it as well, Why can't we go back to a New Testament church? Now, I'm a little bit cynical of some of those statements because I've read Acts, and Ananias and Sapphira both dropped dead in the presence of Peter. That's early church. They're the first major sin that's communal where God steps in and kills them for their sin. And I used to teach the book of Corinthians, and when I think of places I don't want to go, I don't want to go to Corinth, because they found some incredibly creative ways to sin against God and against one another. And Paul spends basically two letters saying, this is sin, and this is sin, and this is sin, and we need to address these issues. However, in verse 31 here, we do get one of those portraits that I think we need to camp on as we consider becoming a New Testament church, Because we have a summary statement here of what has gone on. We've had turmoil. We've had upheaval. We've had Peter, James, John, the rest of the apostles have been flogged by the Sanhedrin. Stephen has been killed. Saul was on a mission to hunt down Christians and has been stopped by Jesus Christ himself. And Luke drops in a summary statement here in verse 31 that is so fascinating to me. The church had peace, and was strengthened. And don't miss two key aspects that are happening here in this pause, and really this last half of chapter 9 is actually really happy peace. And we're actually headed to some mind-blowingly good days. I love chapter 10, and Glenn Reimer's going to come next week. He's going to present chapter 10. It's a turning point in all of human history. Second, of course, to the cross and the empty tomb, but certainly stands very similar to Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes, because in Acts 10, we're going to have another major shift, but leading into these happy days, verse 31, two things that are happening. First off, the church is filled with the Spirit of God. If we were to follow through the New Testament, there's a strong emphasis, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be indwelled with the Spirit of God. 
This is a gift of God. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to keep it. We can dialogue around what happens when I sin and can I dull the work of the Spirit in my life? Can I reject the work of the Spirit? There's, there's some complicated discipleship questions we need to ask. But first and foremost is this clear statement. They're encouraged by the Holy Spirit. The early church and, in fact, the church through all ages is first and foremost marked as the people who are filled with the Spirit of God. It's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, to use the words of Paul from Corinthians. We must be filled with the Spirit. Of course, it begs the question, what if I don't have the Spirit? Have you asked? Second key component that we see here in verse 31, for this idealistic time as the church is doing well, the second thing that we see, a healthy church is a growing church. Organisms grow, and there's been comment made often drawing that parallel between the church and an organism and how as biological things grow as they are healthy, the church must grow as it's healthy, and I think this is true, and we need to be careful. I'm not talking a corporate model here, and I, I think I, I track Apple, for example. I'm sorry, I'm, an, I'm a Mac guy and an Apple guy, and I know some of you are Android people, but I think we can still be friends, maybe. Um, Insert your own uh, Calgary Flames or Montreal Canadiens joke here. Wow, I don't even know where that came from. Moving on. What was I even talking about? Wow. The church is a growing entity. Thank you. I have a t-shirt that says, I don't have ADD. I'm just, oh, look, a squirrel. Makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? The church is a growing entity. I follow Apple shares. Apple shares have closed at, I think, almost $500 a share now. It's fabulous. The growth has been monumental, exponential, and they're now market capitalization of $2 trillion. Can't even comprehend that much money. That's not the model we're talking about. The church is a body, and the body is going to grow and develop as it's healthy. The metaphor here would be one of an athlete who is training and improving and growing. So the two aspects here we see in 9 verse 31. The church is marked by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And the church is marked by growing. We are sharing the transformed work of Jesus Christ in our life. We should be contagious. We should be drawing people in, they should look at us and say, there's something fundamentally different and I want to be a part of it. I don't know if you've ever had that encounter with someone. Maybe you're in the mall, maybe you're at a restaurant, uh, COVID's on, so maybe it's online. I don't know where we would encounter people right now. I realize it's a little challenging, but think with me for a moment. Have you ever encountered somebody just in random life and you walk away going, there's something different about them. I think they might be dot, 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 and you find out later, yes, they're believers. Paul talks about it being the aroma of Christ in us. We see this in 931. Well, Luke goes on and develops the story a little bit further for us with a couple of key events. And, and really, they're actually healings. One's a healing, is resurrection healing or resurrection? We can debate that point. But the first one that we have is with our dear friend Aeneas. Verse 34, Peter comes to him. Having heard, because he's in the area and he's been out doing the ministry, he hears about this man, Aeneas. Eight years he's been paralyzed, he, and he encounters this man, disciple of Jesus, we think possibly converted because of uh, Stephen's, sorry, um, Philip's ministry in Acts chapter 8. Notice what he says here when he encounters this man. Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And it really is reminiscent of that one time where the paralyzed man, he's on a cot, and his four friends take him, they cut a hole in the roof because they, they couldn't get to Jesus because the crowds were so pressing in. So they cut the hole in the roof of some other guy's house. They lower him down, and what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven, and everyone's offended. And they said, so you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Take up your mat and go home. And the layman takes up his bed and goes home. And it's actually very, very parallel. And it reminds us, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will do greater miracles than I did. You will do the miracles I did, and you will do more. 
Stay in Jerusalem. You need the Spirit, not just for the miracles, but for that transforming, cleansing, empowering work that your soul needs. Here's the interesting thing. For all that power that Peter has now, he just told this guy to get up. That's just a byproduct of the work of the Spirit molding and shaping Peter into the image of Jesus Christ. We use the language of sanctification, the process of becoming holy. Actually, sanctification has two sides. I am declared holy in Christ Jesus, but by the work of the Spirit, I'm becoming holy. And what we see here is just the outflow. If Peter's able to do miracles like that, how much greater the new life that is in the soul of Peter. Aeneas, get up. Eight years this man has been paralyzed. Eight years, not able to walk. No modern medicine, no wheelchairs, no social support system. Eight years, get up. And immediately he got up. Notice what happens in verse 35. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And again, we have a miracle happening, not just for the sake of this man. Aeneas needed the healing. But again, just like what we see with that lame man at the beautiful gate, back in Acts chapter 3, the, the miracle's great for them, but there's way more going on. Aeneas, get up. That becomes a visual clue that what Peter is teaching, the power at work in Peter, the gospel he is teaching is legitimized because they see this power and they know no one else has it. The miracle serves as a mark of the authority and authenticating, as it were, of the power that is now at work in Peter. Jesus in his own ministry had something like this happen. At one point, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees come to him and they say, teacher, we want to see a miracle. I always think this is a stupid request. Because he's been healing the sick and doing all kinds of miracles already, but they want another miracle. Because the miracles demonstrate where the power is. Because the gospel is not a matter of words, but a power. And what's the core of that power? It is the spirit of God. It is God working in and through us, molding and transforming us. And he spills out of us to the world around us. Beautiful, beautiful image. That sanctifying, transforming work in my soul spills out to those around me. Well, Luke continues the story where we have the church now doing really well. It's growing in numbers, and the Spirit is working. We see this example of Peter as he is in one region, and we're now roughly, what would it be, north and west of Jerusalem, but we're still primarily in Jewish territory, though the story is shortly going to take a major turn in the book of Acts, and we're going to leave Judea and Samaria because we have to go to the ends of the earth, but we're still in Jewish territory but the story takes another turn because in Joppa, verse 36, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. And it goes on to tell us how this wonderful lady was such a blessing. Now, I'm sorry, this is my maturity showing, but I feel bad for it because in my generation, anytime we came to this story, everybody giggled at the name Dorcas, but it actually means gazelle, and apparently it's a really nice name in the Greek. I had a friend named Tabitha. When I was in Karenport, we used to sometimes call her Dorcas, and she got mad at us. This is a neat lady. She has a, a, a vibrant ministry. Everyone looks to her. It's, it's one of those people you, you like being around. And she's died. So what do they do? They send for Peter. Pick it up at verse 37. At that time, she became sick and she died. After washing her, they placed her in the upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men. And they came and they urged him, don't delay in coming to us. What do they think Peter's going to do? I actually don't have an answer for this question. Uh, incidentally, I ask questions all the time I don't have answers to. I love questions without answers because those are really good questions. 
I, I still want to know, what were they thinking? What are they anticipating Peter's going to do? To me, it's a little bit like the time that the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat, and the waves come up, and the storm comes up, and the fishermen who've made their living on the Sea of Galilee go, we're going to die now because they know bad storms, and this is a bad storm. So they wake Jesus up, and I'm convinced when I read that story in the Gospels, every time I go through it, I just giggle to myself because I'm sure they woke Jesus up simply because they didn't think it was fair that he's asleep while they die. Because he kind of looks around, and he's like, oh, you have little faith. He rebukes the wind and the, and the waves, and it's almost like anticlimactic. He goes back to sleep, and the storm stops, and the disciples go, who are we following? They didn't know he was going to stop the storm. I kind of wonder when they send for Peter, are they wanting a nice funeral, or do they just maybe hold out the hope of resurrection? Luke doesn't tell us and the text doesn't make it clear. I think Luke actually leaves it deliberately ambiguous for us because I suspect there's a whole pile of emotions all crashing together at this moment as this dearly loved woman has passed away. And Peter, the leader of the church, is in the area. Let's send for Peter. Maybe a miracle will happen. And if not, we have the leader of the church who can come and mourn with us. We're just not told did they anticipate that something special would happen here? We don't know. But of course, Peter agrees to come. The two cities aren't that far apart. They're probably towns at this point. So he goes. He goes in, verse 40. He sends them out. He kneels down. He prays. And then he says to her, Tabitha, get up. And so she gets up. Verse 41, he gave her his hand and helped her to stand up. He called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. It's a beautiful portrait of God's care and concern, not just for this woman, but for that church community there in Joppa, as this woman was contributing significantly to the ministry of the church. And again, we're in ideal times here. When we talk about going back to the New Testament church, frankly, this, this interlude here between major world-changing events, the conversion of Saul and the conversion of Cornelius, is a really fun time to be in as we see the church growing and expanding. And just as Aeneas' healing becomes a touch point for the community to see and hear the gospel and know the truth of it, the raising from the dead of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, is a touch point for the community to go, there is power in what Peter's teaching, therefore there must be truth in what Peter's teaching, therefore we will hear the word of the gospel, we will respond to this idea that Jesus Christ is the son of God, he died for our sins, he's raised again, and in him our hope can be put for eternity. Beautiful, beautiful days. Of course, this raises an interesting piece of theology I want to consider for a moment, and that is of healing. We had a case uh, years ago when I was pastoring. One of our dear saints passed away after a, a multi, almost a multi-decade battle with cancer, and just ongoing. I think she'd battled cancer about 16 years, 17 years, maybe even 18 years. Her, her cancer predated our time in the church. And I remembered her passing away. And one of my youth group girls was really struggling with this. And we started to talk about why did God let this person die? Why was this allowed to happen? And I think about this through the lens of what we read here with these two who are restored to health. And I, I wrestle with the question in my own life, that of healing, and does God heal and does God hear? And some have said, well, we don't see healing because we don't ask. I think that's an interesting idea. Do we ask for what we want? When I do hospital visitation, I take my little bottle of oil. I will always, and I'm up front with the people I anoint and pray for, I will always ask for what I want. Lord, would you heal them? Would you make their bodies whole? I think we need to ask. I'm struck by, you know, Peter's pretty direct. Tabitha, get up. Commands the dead to rise. But is that the whole picture? Well, interestingly, Tabitha's restored to life, and Neus has been healed. I've never met either of these people because they subsequently die again. 
And this morning, we're going to do communion in a few moments. And if we were to go to 1 Corinthians 11 and read just past the communion text, we're reminded in a church that has the gift of healing, Corinth, Paul himself writes, this is why many of you are sick and weak and some have fallen asleep because they're in sin. In a church with the gift of healing, we still have illness. We need to be very careful in how we craft our doctrine of healing. I would suggest to you we have to ask for what we want. But keep this in mind. Lazarus dies again. Peter dies. John's the only apostle who dies a natural death. All the people that they prayed for healing at some point succumbed to physical death. But Jesus himself says in John chapter 11, he reminds us, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even if you die, you will live. Got to be a little careful with our doctrine of healing. Is there healing in Jesus Christ? Always. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, yes. But for some, it's the side of eternity. Some, it's the other side of eternity. We live in that tension of the are and the not yet. It's kind of like being sinful. I am forgiven. Jesus has declared me holy. But there are days I don't do a really good job of living that out. And I suspect there's days where your soul kind of despairs of your personal holiness. It doesn't change the truth. I live in that tension. I am holy, and I'm becoming holy. Sanctification. Jesus Christ says, you are my child. My blood covers you. When I see you, I see my holiness and my righteousness to God the Father. That's what he perceives. But I'm in process of becoming holy. When will that process end? I've had some try and tell me you can be holy on this side of eternity. Interestingly, most of my mentors are in their 70s and 80s. And most of my mentors have talked very, very bluntly about how aware they are of their sin. That, that's encouraging and depressing all at the same time. It's depressing because I'm still in my 40s and I was kind of hoping I would have a better beat on life by the time I'm 70 or 80. And I look at these men who I count as wise fathers in the faith. And it's hopeful because at least we're talking about it. And we can see the work of Christ molding us and transforming us. What do we do with this text? In light of even some of what I've said about healing, I want to suggest three things. First off, first application, we need to be very mindful. In our Christian life, one of the things that we do as Christians is we carry the kingdom with us. The spirit of God in us and through us should be spreading out. As I said already, Paul uses that image of aroma. It should be caught by those around us. There should be something different. The kingdom must expand both as a church and as individuals. We need to stop and consistently be asking, what are we doing to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ? In our own souls in our own families, in our congregation, in our city, in our world. The church must expand. And Jesus Christ has seen fit that we are to be the hands and feet that are going to take the kingdom out. We are the body of Christ together. And that body needs to be growing. On a personal level, This causes me pause because I stop and I think, well, what am I excited about? What do I talk about? When I meet new people, what am I concerned about with them? What do I fixate on? Where do I spend my time? And and don't get me wrong. I think God wants us to enjoy life. I look at the example of the saints. I look at the example of the Old Testament patriarchs. God has given us a beautiful world to be enjoyed and embraced. But it is for the glory of God. What are we doing as a church? Where are we being intentional in how we're reaching out to our community? Where are we being intentional in empowering one another to reach out into our community? What are we doing for missions? The church must grow. The kingdom of Christ needs to be growing. We are part of it. God is going to do it with us or without us. I kind of like to be along for the ride. Because my experience with God, when you're along for the ride with God and you're walking in the fullness of what he has for you, you're not in control. You don't always get what you want. Things don't turn out the way you expect. And that's a good thing because, well, can you imagine what would happen if you got everything that you ever asked for from God? 
That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray, said, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Second thing, the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. I love this interlude where we're reminded that as Christians, the Holy Spirit is intrinsic to our very identity as believers. Why can Peter perform miracles? The Spirit of God in him and through him. How does the church grow and expand? It's the Spirit of God in the church and through the church. I'm sorry, I don't know enough to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and probably you don't either, but the Spirit of God takes what we bring and empowers it and transforms it and uses it for his glory. The Spirit of God takes me, a broken and sinful man, and makes me something new. Think about who Peter was in the Gospels. Think about it for a moment. I love calling him the attention deficit disciple. And maybe I identify with him my whole, oh, look, it's a squirrel. Because Peter gets one answer right in the Gospels. He, he's, he's answering questions he doesn't even understand. I'm, I'm just right now in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter goes like, can I come out to the water and, and meet you? And Jesus says, come on out. Peter does great until he stops and actually thinks about what he's doing. Then he starts to drown. I, I wonder if Jesus had a straight face. Or if, if he's starting to crack up a little bit when he had to reach down and pull Peter out of the water. That's the same Peter we meet here. Who can look at a dead woman and say, Tabitha, get up. Who can look at Aeneas and say, Jesus Christ heals you. Pick up your mat. This transforming work of the Spirit is the transforming work in you and in me. And we are called to live in the fullness of this. And this is a sermon for another day. Go spend some time in Galatians chapter 5. Go spend some time in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John's gospel in those later teen chapters. This transforming work of the Spirit to empower and make us new and make us holy. And when it spills out in power, that's great. But first and foremost, it's that new life, that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance to come. Our third so what? There is this very clear concern God shows for us in Acts chapter 9. I don't know if you caught this. But God actually is concerned for his church. And we see this in the first part of chapter 9 that Pastor Matt preached on last week. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus takes us personally. I love that. It's a conversation for Revelation at some point. Where what drives the wrath of God forward is how the saints are treated. How long, O oh Lord, the blood cries out. And Jesus says, just a little longer. Christ is concerned for us. And we see it in very visible ways here as this healing takes place, as the restoration to life takes place. It's not just a concern for Aeneas, not just a concern for Tabitha, but a concern for those church communities there and the encouragement that that woman brought and presumably Aeneas was well connected as well but also the concern for the lost because those miracles serve as that flag, that marker to the community. Hey, look, this gospel Peter is preaching is true. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He is the son of God. In him is life. In him is eternal life and forgiveness. I love these moments in Acts where we're reminded that the mundane things of life, sometimes we get so spiritual and we think, well, does God really care about my physical well-being? Yes, he does. Does he allow sickness? Yes, he does. Sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes it's purifying. Paul and his thorn in the flesh. Job and what he experiences. Aeneas, there's no indication here Aeneas is in sin. Tabitha, there's no indication why she died. She's obviously a holy lady. As human beings, sickness and death are part of life. But God is concerned for us and sees us. And while our plan and his plan may not always be the same, it doesn't mean he doesn't care. Jesus himself reminds us of how much the Father cares. Even the numbers on your head, sorry, even the hairs on your head are numbered. The kingdom is growing. The Spirit is at work in us and through us. 
and God is concerned for our lives. And I want to consider this as we now shift to communion. The celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus that forms the bedrock of everything we've just talked about this morning. Aeneas' healing is because of Jesus' resurrection. Tabitha's deliverance from death, her restoration to life, is because of the life of Christ. And if you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... We've got very familiar words where Paul lays out for us this communion that we are to celebrate regularly as we celebrate, as we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not just that, but that because of his death and resurrection, we are his children. We are forgiven, and even if we die, we will live. With this in mind, as we come to communion, and as we go to prayer, we're going to take a few moments. I want to reflect for a few moments. How are you in Christ doing? What does the life of the Spirit look like in your soul? I don't know what kind of week you've had. I've had a bit of a mixed week. It's been a challenging week. But it's been a good week. But it's been a challenging week. Let's take a few moments. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, after the communion, he reminds us, and I alluded to these words already, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So let's take a few moments. If there's sin in your soul, ask forgiveness. If you have uncertainty about the work of the Spirit in your life, ask for a filling and a fresh touch today. For those of you who are not disciples of Jesus Christ, who've never called on Christ to forgive your sins, I want to leave you in this time of quiet with the question, what is going to forgive you? Who is going to cover your sins? How is the evil in your soul going to be taken care of? And for those of us who are disciples, after the time of reflection, be reminded in Jesus Christ there is forgiveness and there's freedom. Let's bow in prayer for a few moments. Holy God, we come before you as your people. Holy Spirit, would you fill your people afresh today? Would you cleanse us? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Would you transform us in the image of Christ? And Holy God, for those who have not called on you, who are not your children, who are not filled with your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you lay conviction heavy upon their hearts in this time of communion that we are celebrating something that they are kept from. Holy Spirit, as we come to communion, would you remind us of Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your work so many years ago. Father God, thank you for giving us your son to die for our sins that we might be cleansed Lord, we thank you for your word today, the reminder of the blessing of the church, the reminder that the church has not changed, but that you still care for us, that you still fill us, that you still use us to advance your kingdom. As we come to this time of communion, would you give us hearts to celebrate the truth of who you are and what you've done for us in the name of Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
I love that image of the broken bread as we consider the cross and the nails that went into his hands that pierced his flesh. Let's give thanks for this broken body that was broken that we might be forgiven. Gracious God, thank you that you were broken for our sins. Forgive us as your people. Cleanse us and use us as we celebrate your forgiveness. Use us as we celebrate being your people and celebrate your imminent return. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Be glorified in and through us, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. The body of Christ, broken for us. Let us partake together. Paul goes on to write, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, the blood of Christ. Let us pray together. Gracious God, thank you that your blood covers our sin. You said that there needs to be a shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin and rather than demand ours and condemn us to a Christless eternity in hell. Instead, your blood was shed that we might be forgiven. Thank you for that which we can never repay. Praise be to you. Amen. The blood of Christ shed for us. Worship team. Please stand as we sing this final song together. Thank you for the cross. 
Thank you, worship team. I'm mindful normally at this point we'd invite people forward for anointing with oil and prayer for healing. I love doing that. We do it somewhat remotely. If you need prayer this week, please feel free to contact us at the office. As I say, I will always ask for what I want. And God in his wisdom and his mercy gives us what we need. And that is difficult and it is challenging and it is a blessing and God is good. Leave you with these words. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. God bless you this week. We are dismissed. Go in the power of the Spirit. God is good. Amen. You may have a seat. To dismiss you momentarily.